0: Hello everyone and welcome to this uh, Archives of Disease and Childhood Fetal and Neonatal Edition podcast. Um, today we're going to be discussing the editor's choice from the January edition of the journal Physiologically Based Cord Clamping, Improves Cardiopulmonary and Hemodynamics in Lambs with a diaphragmatic hernia. Uh, with me I have the first and senior author uh, on the paper and I will get them to introduce themselves, Aidan perhaps if you can go first.
1: Well, my name is Aidan, I'm a junior doctor from Melbourne in Victoria. And I've just finished my PhD um, in maternal fetal medicine, looking specifically at babies with congenital diaphragmatic hernia. We looked at a few fetal therapies, but also the benefits of physiologically based cord planting in this population in a sheep
2: model, which is one of the papers um, we're talking about today. Hi, Philip. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Philip De Koning. I'm an MFM obstetrician um, consultant in uh, Rotterdam in the Netherlands, uh, but I've worked previously at Monash, where I've did where I'm continuing to do my research uh, as an adjunct senior lecturer over there. So most of my sheep work has been uh, taking place there, but uh, my clinical work is in the other side of the world.
0: And you're, you're both very welcome, and thank you for taking the time to discuss this. Um, really a, a fascinating study on um, physiologically-based cord clamping um, in this very high-risk population. And um, Perhaps we'll start with, uh, with you, uh, Aidan, um could you just chat us through the the background, um, some of the sort of the thinking around why why uh, what, what physiological-based cord clamping is and why specifically you would apply it to 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 babies or lambs or fetuses with the diaphragmatic hernia?
1: Yeah, sure. So physiologically based cord clamping is essentially waiting to clamp the umbilical cord at birth until after the lungs are, are aerated and gas exchange has begun because as a fetus, gas exchange is occurring through the placenta and venous return is coming from the placenta to the to the heart. Then after birth, the lungs have to take over this role. So physiologically-based cord clamping is allowing the lungs to take over the role first before you clamp the umbilical cord and cut the baby off them from the placenta. So the Ritchie Centre at Monash University, uh, where Philip and I both work, um, did a lot of um, sheep work on physiologically-based cord clamping, particularly in the preterm population, Um, My PhD was looking specifically at congenital diaphragmatic hernia and Philip had some expertise in this area as well. Um, And we thought we would be able to apply um, some of the benefits of physiologically based cord clamping to the CDH population as well, Um, who, while they don't have um, premature lungs, um, do have lungs that take a little bit longer to aerate at birth and who require um, ventilatory support at birth. Um, So we thought we could look at what the effects of Immediate versus a physiologically based approach to coracolamping would be in this population.
0: Fantastic. Um, and uh, Philip, some some of the the readers wouldn't necessarily be familiar with the creation of, of an animal model for for diaphragmatic hernia or, or, or the use of an animal model to study this. Could you just just briefly outline some of the some of the basic methodology and how you you went about that and uh, how you sort of approached the creating the problem in an otherwise healthy model.
2: Yes, so the models for congenital diaphragmatic hernia or, or diaphragmatic hernia um, in animals are, are challenging. There's roughly two ways to create uh, a diaphragmatic uh, defect. Uh, in smaller animals, and that's particularly rodents, um, uh, rats, and mice, you can use nitrofen, uh, which is a, a teratogenic agent, and then you can create um, a diaphragmatic uh, defect. But in larger models, and then we go from uh, rabbits to, to lambs, you have to create it surgically, um, which has uh, a disadvantage is that you create it later than what it's normally uh, occurring. Normally, it's occurring in the embryonic phase. Whereas, for instance, in the lamb, we can only, based on the technical capacity that we uh, or challenge, it's very challenging to do it too early in, in because of the fragile tissues and so on, you, you only ha- you have to wait until 70, 80 days of gestation. So that's one of the limitations of the model. But what we also know that by using surgical models, we're able to replicate the lung hypoplasia that we see in, in these challenging infants. So it is an, not an entirely, well, it's still a model. So it's not entirely reflecting the clinical practice, but it, it gives us the best uh, yeah, substitute for um, what we want to uh, investigate and the nice thing about the lamb pulmonary development that it goes through the same stages uh, at roughly the same uh, times in pregnancy uh, and the physiology is, is quite uh, similar to humans so most of the research that has been uh, translated not not just from CDH, but also from preterm infants, comes from LEM. So it is actually quite a, a nice model where we can measure various ways and look what happens at birth. So that's why we, we chose this model. Uh, but look, there's, there's limitations to any, any model, of course.
0: <laughs> of course, but it, it sounds like a fairly robust uh, way of studying this uh, pathology prior to, to the, the clinical setting.
2: No, th- I agree. And it's been around for for uh, several decades. It's been uh, uh, mainly uh, some of North American centers that uh, started this model, and we, we've replicated this in uh, at Monash, uh, which we also published in, in archives in two back-to-back papers where we looked at the physiology of what happens in neonatal transition and also uh, what happens if you do tracheal occlusion. And, of course, um, we were very fortunate to work with Stuart Hooper, who's been um, involved in this research for many years already and he also was one of the, uh, yeah, based in uh, I think 10 or 20 years, he also was looking in this model um, already. So we've been very fortunate to work with him as well.
0: I think I'll go to you, Adrian, next in terms of the the specific then methods for this particular study. So um, could you just outline what you did what the intervention was and then what your outcome measure was and, and why that was a good outcome measure.
1: Sure, so as Philip described, we used the sheep model of diaphragmatic hernia. So at 80 days gestation, we exteriorise the fetus, um, make a small incision in the chest wall and then um, incise the diaphragm, uh, pull some of the abdominal organs up into the chest and then close the chest wall up, put the fetus back in the ewe and allow the ewe to carry it to term. Um, then we delivered the lambs and in one group of lambs, um, we immediately clamped the umbilical cord and then started ventilation and in the second group of lambs um, we started ventilation first while they were still on the umbilical cord. Uh, we then waited until they achieved the target tidal volume of four ml per kilogram um, up to a maximum of 10 minutes and then we clamped the cord in this second physiologically based cord clamping group. Um, before we um, delivered the lambs uh, we them with tools required to monitor things like um, arterial blood gas status, um, blood pressures and flows in the pulmonary and systemic circulations. Um, and we'd also put things like temperature probes in. So that allowed us to then look at physiology during the neonatal transition, before, during, after cord clamping, and then for the first two hours of neonatal life uh, while they were being ventilated. Yeah, so the main outcome measure we wanted to look at was um, pulmonary blood flow. Um, and then our secondary outcome measures were things like arterial blood gas status so oxygenation levels of CO2 um, and then also um, blood pressures in the uh, systemic and pulmonary circulations Um, so we think pulmonary blood flow is an an important measure for babies with CDH because um, many of them will go on to develop persistent pulmonary hypertension of the newborn so they have um, higher pulmonary blood pressures which means that um, less blood can flow through their lungs and they have trouble with oxygenation and there's also then a strain on the heart. Um, so, what we found was that when the umbilical cord was clamped in the immediate cord clamping group, there was a sudden rise in systemic blood pressure, pulmonary blood pressure, um, and also a sudden drop in um, uh, blood oxygenation. And that seems to make sense. Uh, during fetal life, the placenta is oxygenating the blood and it's also providing venous return to the heart, and it's also acting as a low resistance part of the fetal uh, blood circulation. But then at birth, when you clamp the umbilical cord, you lose that source of oxygen, you lose the venous return to the heart, and you increase systemic vascular resistance by removing the low resistance placental circulation. Um, So those high blood pressures and and low um, oxygen, uh, we hypothesise would be causing damage to the the pulmonary vasculature. Um, In contrast, in the physiologically based cord clamping group, um, we found that As the lung aerated, um, pulmonary blood flow gradually increased so that at the time the umbilical cord was clamped, uh, pulmonary blood flow was already at a level where the lungs could accept the blood that used to have been going to the placenta but now needed to go somewhere else and so it went into the lungs. It was able to go into the lungs at a lower pressure. So not only pulmonary arterial pressure was um, lower than in the immediate cord clamping group, but systemic arterial pressures were lower as well. And there was no um, hypoxic period as there was in the immediate cord clamping group. So it seemed to indicate that um, delaying umbilical cord clamping until after the lungs are aerated had allowed a smoother transition without a period of hypoxia and without elevated blood pressures in the systemic and pulmonary circulation.
0: And that's the, sort of the goal in the management of uh, congenital diaphragmatic hernias And it seems that this approach is is quite an exciting um, therapy. I suppose, for once for a better expression. Um, Philip, what what's the next step then in the um in, in your in your set of studies? If you can say what um, what's what's coming next? Um, is this a preclinical study? Is is are there plans for clinical application?
2: Yes, there is. And, uh, and as you said, it's, it is an exciting topic and we're certainly not the only ones doing this. There's um, uh, several feasibility trials, one from a group in France, in Lille, um, who's shown that it is actually very well feasible to uh, in a clinical setting to ventilate these infants whilst they're still connected on the cord, and then more recently there was a, a publication also in Archives by a group in uh, Philadelphia that also looked at whether they'd be able to uh, ventilate these infants on the cord. Um, both of them were p- pilot studies, uh, not powered to to lo- detect any improvement of outcomes, but mainly to look at feasibility um we um and um, myself as a, a primary investigator have designed a clinical trial in Rotterdam which will hopefully start in the next month uh, where we actually have um uh, the goal of that trial will, will be to show an improvement in clinical outcomes and then maybe pulmonary hypertension um we've we've called the trial the physiological-based cortilabin in in infants uh, with congenital diaphragmatic hernia and abbreviated that to a PINK trial, which also uh, alludes to the fact that we want them uh, to become PINK, so nicely um, oxygenated. So that trial will be uh, starting in Rotterdam, but will, there will be a, a number of European centers there as well as Australian centers that are interested in participating and these ongoing talks on how to do that. For that trial, um, we, we are using a platform which is purposely designed to uh, resuscitate preterm infants, uh, which is called the Concord neonatal birth trolley, which allows us to come very close to the mother uh, during vaginal, vaginal delivery as well as caesarean Um And we could do the same as we do in uh, any neonatal resuscitation. Um, and so the, the primary outcome for that trial will be pulmonary hypertension within the first 24 hours. Um, So that's the exciting part. As I said, we're not the only ones. There's a nationwide French study um, and uh, I believe there's also some ongoing studies in uh, some of uh, North American centers as well.
0: Wonderful. And I suppose Adrian, just just back to you as this is part of your PhD, it it always seems to me that um, cord clamping makes a lot of sense, not only for the, the change in the hemodynamics, but also the the placental passage of probably some stem cells, some other um, intangible factors that we perhaps don't know of or haven't quite quantified yet. Are are you planning to looking at how that might affect uh, lung growth, brain growth? Uh, Is there any component to that of your PhD or is that?
1: No, no, it's a a really interesting point, Um, but unfortunately that wasn't um, part of my PhD. This this cord clamping study actually came quite close to the end of my PhD. Um, in some of the early studies of my PhD, I'd noticed that um, we were doing a physiology-based approach to cord clamping in these um, lambs with the diaphragmatic hernia because uh, working with Stuart Hooper, who's done a lot of this work in, in preterm lambs, it seemed obvious to him that this was going to be a way to help them um, survive longer. Um, so we were doing it in our studies, looking at other therapies, and we were finding that our control groups just weren't quite as sick as we were expecting. Um, we worked out, well, that's probably because we were doing this physiology-based cord clamping. So we decided, let's do a proper study looking at the difference between immediate cord clamping and physiologically-based cord clamping um, in this cohort. So it actually came quite late in my PhD. And
2: yeah, no, it's certainly uh, also in the, in the clinical trial, we, we've we seen of biobanking of umbilical cord samples and, and so on. So it, it is certainly something we, we're very much interested in. Also, maybe look at some of the early biomarkers for pulmonary hypertension. which might be changed by... Uh, adopting a different approach at the time of clamping so it it is ongoing and it is certainly something which is on our mind but yeah uh, I think Aidan has done enough <laughs> in his speech.
0: yeah that's fair enough well th- thank you both very much for a very uh, engaging and, and stimulating conversation we certainly at the journal thought it was a very exciting topic and worthwhile sort of exploring with the authors. Um, uh, there's always the opportunity to have a discussion uh, afterwards and uh, the ADC uh, underscore FN is the Twitter handle for uh, the journal, uh, plus there are opportunities for uh, message boards in a conventional fashion on the on the website. My own uh, personal Twitter account is at Jonathan underscore Davis 3 and it and I know that you have a Twitter account, but could you just remind us what your handle is?
1: Sure, mine's just at Aidan Cashup, so my full name.
0: And Philip, are you social media savvy? Are you? I don't have
2: Twitter. I am on ResearchGate. I've been entering and, and, and being active on that. Um, But uh, yeah, I've stayed away from Twitter for now.
0: Okay, well there's the opportunity for all of those methods to have a discussion um, regarding the the study and um, we look forward to people interacting with it and uh, thank you both very much again.
1: Thanks so much Jonathan.